everyone, my name is Michelle Campbell and I'm the Senior Manager of School and Library Marketing here at Little Brown Books for Young Readers. Welcome to the LB School Podcast. Today I'm very excited because we have a very special guest author joining us, Ashley Herring-Blake. You may know Ashley from her young adult novels or her middle grade debut novel, Ivy Aberdeen's Letter to the World, which is a 2019 ALA Stonewall Book Award honor book. Welcome, Ashley. Hey, thanks for having me. So today we're going to be talking about a lot of things, Ashley. Um, I'm excited. I definitely want to talk to you about Ivy Aberdeen's Letter to the World, and I want to talk about your new book, The Mighty Heart of Sunny St. James. I want to talk to you about how you write super relatable fiction for young readers and so much more. Um, But first, I really want to talk to you. No pressure. (laughs) This will be easy breezy Friday afternoon chat. (laughs) Um, but first, I haven't had a chance to congratulate you for your Stonewall Book Award honor. So congratulations. Thanks so much. And, you know, with I was thinking about it and big picture wise, um, you know, 2019 is also the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots. Um, so this yeah. must be even extra meaningful to you. Um, so I just want to hear, can you tell us a little bit about when you first heard that Ivy Aberdeen's Letter to the World was a Stonewall Book Award honor this year and what it means to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, it was, it was a Sunday night and it was like eight o'clock my time. Um, and it was the night before the the big, you know, awards day where they mm-hmm. announced everything at the ALA press conference. Um. And I had just put my youngest kid to bed, so I was, like, in his room, like, literally two minutes before the phone rang. Mm-hmm. Um, and sitting on my couch, I'm like, oh, you know, trying to relax. Mm-hmm. Um, so my phone rings, and it's not a number I recognize. It's from, like, Chicago or something. And I do not I do not like the phone, and I do not answer the phone with <laughs> people that I don't know. Unless you're in my contacts already, I'm not answering. Yeah. And if you are in my contacts, I'm like, well, why are you calling me instead of texting me? <laughs> Um, and so, but when I saw that and I was like, oh, I don't know that number, but then it, I just kind of hesitated because I was like, oh, it's the night before awards and, you know, wishful thinking, hoping against all hope <laughs> that maybe Ivy would have gotten something, you know? Um, so I was like, well, maybe I should answer it. And it was a good thing I did because it was the Stonewall committee. Um, <laughs> and they, it was just, it was very exciting because they, he introduced himself and it, I heard everybody in the background as like the whole committee was on the call and, yeah. um, you know, he told me that Ivy wasn't. Was an was an honor book for this year, and and then they like all like cheered. I could just feel like imagine like confetti spewing, and <laughs> it was just really exciting. And yeah, and then like and then my editor called me, so that was cool. And then um, Victoria, who you know has the, you know obviously you know Victoria, she heads up the school of marketing at Little Brown, called me, and they were all cheering in the background. And um, you know it was just it was just really special. Um, and it was it was really amazing because you know I I wrote Ivy, you know. Like, I think Sunny, and we'll talk about later, I'm sure, is about a lot of different things. I think mm-hmm. Ivy is, too, but Ivy really is very much a coming-out story mm-hmm. um, and about being accepted for who you are. And I think to for her, for Ivy to win this win a Stonewall honor, you know, on the 50th anniversary of Stonewall riots, um, mm-hmm. was really special because it just kind of was a testament to how far we've come since then. And those, and those people in those riots, especially, um, you know, queer people of color, mm-hmm. trans people of color, who really fought for us to be where we are today, where a book like Ivy can be on the shelves and be in kids' libraries, like in teachers' classrooms and uh, media centers and schools. It's just it's just really amazing. Ashley, I completely agree with you. I'm so glad to see characters like Ivy and Sunny literally out in the world 
and to see that people are not only just accepting them for who they are, but we're celebrating them, especially by honoring your work on these characters with such prestigious awards like the Stonewall. It's really amazing that we've been able to come so far, but we still have a lot of work to do. It's amazing, like, the pushback I still come against, you know, mm-hmm. just, like, like, I remember they, like, some, at some point last year, um, Jen Petro Roy also released a book called, um, PSI Miss You, I think is what it's called, and, um, I know, I remember hearing she was trying to do school visits on that book, and it's also about a girl who's figuring out she likes girls, and she had, like, a few school visits cancel once they realized what the book was about, and, you know, so I, it's very, I still feel like I'm walking on, like, eggshells a lot of times with it, and when I talk about it, um, and I even have to be really careful about talking about it in my own school. That's yeah. Um, well, because I teach in Tennessee, and Tennessee yeah. is a, a right-to-work state. You know, they don't mm-hmm. need a reason to fire me. Um, so I just have to be really careful, like, who I tell about the kind of books I write. Like, I don't write. My Herring Blake is a family name, but it's not my legal name. And so, um, you know, so there's a level of privacy there. But it's just really frustrating sometimes because I'm like, well, what if there are kids who really need this book that I'm around, you know? <laughs> Okay, so now I'm curious what it's like at your school. Does your school librarian and your principal support you? Do like they? Mm-hmm. My principal knows, and my assistant principal knows what I write. Um, and they don't really, they don't really talk about it much. And, pl- I, and I teach first grade. I teach like little ones, right. so my my first grade aren't ready for Ivy. You know, they're reading picture books and chapter books. But but my school librarian does know. Um, and I'm actually at a K through four school, so you know, fourth okay. grade is the highest level at our school, and so it's right on the cusp of that middle grade age. You know, there's definitely third graders who are ready for books like Ivy. I think too, but mm-hmm. um, but my print. It's interesting because my media specialist has read both my middle grades. She loves them. She's very supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's also like, yeah, the Ivy. It, they won't ever be in our library because that's not really? a battle she yeah. would win. You know, I'm in a conservative district. I'm in a conservative part of Tennessee, um, and she just knows the battle that she would have to fight to get that book in. You know, the majority of kids at my school are not ready, not there yet. I mean. But, you know, there's still maybe some who are. And- right. I can definitely see that. And, you know, maybe they'll have access to it in middle school. And this book will help them then instead. Yeah. And I was really, my nephew uh, read Ivy and he got mm-hmm. it. He just, like, checked it out of his school library. He's in sixth grade this year. Um, and he's in South Georgia. So, and I was really mm-hmm. happy to hear that, you know, Ivy was in a South Georgia <laughs> media center in a middle school. So <laughs> that was exciting. Because you just never know. I mean, you know, I don't know. It's an, it's just been an interesting journey as an educator and and an author of um, books that are still fighting for a place. I hope that the fact that the ALA has recognized Ivy with a Stonewall Award this year will really shine a light on her story. And I hope that it's a light that continues to shine so that books like Ivy will find a place on shelves in every library and every school. It's really important because kids need her story. We all need a story like Ivy. Okay, so we've spent a little bit of time with Ivy, but I just want to talk about her a little bit more um, because everyone loves her. Um, It came as no surprise that Bookless Magazine has just named Ivy Aberdeen's Letter to the World one of the 50 best middle grade books of the 21st century. It's definitely a lofty title, but Ivy certainly deserves it. To me, Ivy is such a unique character. Her family survives a terrible tornado and she has to start at a new school while living in temporary housing because her family's home was completely destroyed. And while she's navigating through this family hardship, she's also discovering herself, her values, her creativity, her intelligence, and her sexuality. 
And so one of my favorite things about Ivy is even though she has so much going on, she constantly journals in a composition notebook. Um, and this was inspired um, by Emily Dickinson's poem, This is My Letter to the World. To me, and maybe I'm wrong, but her journaling and her drawing and writing and being creative seemed like a way that Ivy was really putting herself out there for the first time. And as she was doing that, she was discovering, her, discovering herself through her own creativity. And I have to ask Ashley, did you also, and do you also write in a notebook, do you journal like Ivy? And just overall, how much of yourself is in Ivy? You know, I, I used to journal a lot when I was younger. I don't do it anymore because I feel like I'm, you know, I'm writing enough. <laughs> right. <laughs> and fit in any, like, and I know a lot of writers who do, like, personal writing and stuff like that, and it's really helpful for them, but I, I just, I can't. And right now, and it would be amazing if I could. But I did a lot of it when I was, when I was younger. Um, when I was a kid, I always had a journal of some sort. I was kind of more obsessed with the journal itself and actually writing in it. <laughs> I was like, they're like, let's yeah. get this one. Ooh, I like this pen, you know? Um. But, um, but I was definitely not a drawer or a visual artist in any way. My brother was the talent there, and I was just good to with stick people. Um, but I was always writing something. You know, I, I wrote a lot of poems in, um, in both elementary, middle, and high school, and even after college, I was writing a lot of poems. Um, so I was always doing that kind of thing. Um, and I, I, I went through phases, like with, 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 a, with a notebook, you know, and journaling. Um, I would do it a lot for several months, and then I'd kind of, it'd kind of fall away, and I'd do something else. But I think the creative aspect is something that was always happening in some form, um, you know, whether it was writing fiction or writing stories or, or, or poems or um, narrative nonfiction or journaling personal just thoughts that no one would ever see. You know, and I think, like, what you said, that, that that's a way that Ivy figures out what she's feeling like it, it feels like a mess in her head and so it makes more sense when she puts it in a drawing for her you know and I think that that's how a lot of creatives are um and it's definitely how I am you know like I I often have to write it wrong before I can write it right, right. if that makes sense you know to because just putting it on paper right. or on a computer screen or whatever it might be um often helps make sense of what you're trying to say or what you're feeling and then you can go from there you know um and that's a lot of what Ivy did um and, you know, overall, like, Ivy, Ivy is very, um, she's very similar to me. She's quiet. She's introspective. Um, she's more introverted, um, definitely more introverted than Sunny is. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like that she is handling these feelings she's having about girls and about, you know, crushes in general and how all of her friends are just talking about boys. I feel like she's handling it in a way that, um, you know, I would have <laughs> if I had more of a self-awareness at that time in my life, mm. you know. Um, everything that was surrounded my own, like figuring out crushes and girls and guys and all this kind of stuff was very kind of one-sided because I didn't even let myself go. Like I didn't even let myself get it on paper, if that makes sense. You know, mm. like I didn't even, I didn't have the vocabulary that Ivy doesn't seem to have either, you know, but I also didn't have, I didn't even have like a freedom of like, I'm going to just write this down and see what I think about it. Like I wouldn't even let myself go there, you know? So I like to think that Ivy is kind of me if I had felt a little bit more freedom um, even in like my, my own thoughts, you know, I don't know yeah. if any of that makes sense, but, but a lot of how Ivy's handling all of that and her self-discovery is very similar to how I did and would have, you know, um, in her similar situation. So yeah, there's a lot of me and Ivy, probably more than any character right now <laughs> that I've written. Well, I personally think you do a brilliant job in taking on big ideas and big emotions and making them super relatable and accessible to young readers. 
Um, I think it's important for everyone to see themselves in books because sometimes that's the only place they do see themselves or can see themselves. Yeah. I mean, reading reading books about girls who liked girls was a way that I figured it out, and I was in my 30s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, so it's still absolutely, and I was reading YA, and I was, you know, and it was, so it's still very relevant, I think, no matter what your age is. Self-discovery never stops. So I think when there's a book, then that's what it, the crux of it is about. It's going to be relevant to someone or to many people on many levels. I love talking about Ivy and hearing more about how much of yourself is really in her character. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, I just want to shift gears a little bit so that we can have some time to talk about your new book, uh, The Mighty Heart of Sunny St. James. Uh, So I found this quote um, by Tammy Charles, the author of Like Vanessa and Definitely Daphne. So I just want to go ahead and share that with everyone because I think that it really captures the essence of the book so beautifully. So she says, the mighty heart of Sunny St. James pulls at the heartstrings from the very first sentence, part soul crushing, part soul fulfilling, laced in humor and unwavering hope. Readers will root for Sunny from start to finish. Ashley Herring Blake hits all the fields with this one. Love is love is love. Surely a message that we can all get on board with. So Ivy and Sunny certainly have some things in common and some things, some very clear differences, but I just want to see if you can talk a little bit about how you approach them differently or perhaps similarly. And how was writing Sunny in general just different for you than um, writing Ivy was? Right. Um, well, yeah, Sunny and Ivy have in common in that they're figuring out that they like girls, but other than that, they really have very yeah. little in common. Um, because Sunny, um, one reason why I love Sunny, and I was just telling this the other day that at um, an event I had at Parnassus, um, and one reason why I love Sunny so much is that she's just completely unlike me. Um, she's just fearless. She's passionate about life. She's just go out and get them. Um, and that stems a lot, you know, from her past of when mm-hmm. she was sick before her heart transplant and she couldn't do a lot of things that she wanted to do. So now she's had a heart transplant and she has the second chance, you know, as she sees it. Um, and so she's like gung-ho about just going out and conquering the world pretty much. Um, and that's just very opposite of me. Um, and she's just so optimistic. Like, even with all she's been through, um, her mother left her when she was four. She's been, then she got sick. Um her best friend betrayed her, you know, the one person she thought she could trust. Um, she's just like, okay, well, I'm going to deal with this and I'm still going to be awesome and I'm going to do this new plan and I'm going to have an amazing life. Um, and she's just, she's just, you know, you can't suppress her. And that's just what I love about her. Um, and, and also that's just how like writing her and Ivy was so different because that's who Sunny was. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Ivy was more quiet and wanted to kind of tuck herself away until she knew that she would be accepted. Sunny is more, um, here I am and take it or leave it, you know? Um, and that doesn't mean that she's beyond being able to be hurt or that she's not suspicious of certain people who are coming back into her life, like her estranged mother. You know, she just has a very different way of looking at it. Um, and I think that, you know, and I think that, you know, the way that characters develop for most authors, I think is, is, is that backstory, you know, and I, I like to think about it as their ghost, kind of what they're carrying on their back, you know? It's not every little thing that happened to them and this ice cream they have in there before that they loved, you know, or whatever. But it's just, it's really just like what haunts them. You know, what are they carrying on their back? Um, and for me, that's where a lot of who a character is, how they, how, how I form that character is from that backstory. Um, 
And so, and then Sonia was also in the first person, and her voice just leaped off the page as soon as I started the book. Um, and so I just really, she was just such a joy to write. And whereas Ivy was a little bit more, um, I guess, somber, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And Sunny was just very sunny. <laughs> she just lived up to her name, you know, in a lot of ways. And did you so, have... And they do have a lot in common, yeah. Did you have, um, like, a real-life inspiration for Sunny? Um, you know, I didn't. Um, I just really wanted to write about, um, I wanted to write about a girl whose mom had left her when she was very young and who comes back into her life. And I wanted it to be a mother who was an alcoholic and who was in recovery. And at no point in the book was that going to be an issue that she fell back Mm -hmm. into drinking. It was going to be, she's in true recovery. She's, you know, working the program, as they say, you know, um, and just look at, I really wanted to examine what does that look like for a kid Sonny's age, and he's going through all the other things she's going through. Um, you know, what does it look like to actually restore a relationship? Can it be restored? Will it ever actually look like mother-daughter, or is it always going to be something different? How does the person who cared for Sonny up until now fit into all this? You know, and just kind of those interesting, very different family dynamics and I'm, that I'm just fascinated with. Um, so it started off as that, and then, honestly, I have no idea where the heart transplant came in. I, just, I don't know where that came from. It just popped into my head one day, and I was like, she has cardiomyopathy, and she's going to get a heart transplant. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I just kind of went from there. Um, you know, and, and to me, it was like the the queer element to it, to where she's figuring out that she likes girls, take is a little bit less the center than it was in Ivy. Um, mm-hmm. For Ivy, that was like all she was thinking about. But Sunny has many other things going on. Um, and it's, you know, the, and her, like, hesitance of being like, yeah, this is who I am, deal with it, kind of thing, uh, for Sunny was, has more to do with, you know, who she is at her core, and mm-hmm. if her heart, if her central organ has been removed and replaced, is she the same person um, kind of thing? And so, and, you know, all of this, like her mother left her, then her family, mm-hmm. her friend betrayed her, and does that mean that there are multiple things wrong with her um, in her heart, you know, um, as opposed to just this one thing? So, you know, it's there's a lot of different things going on for Sunny as opposed to what Ivy, what Ivy has going. Well, I think Sunny is a Sunny character, as you say, and I hope that listeners will spend some time with her. In fact, you should stay tuned because there will be an audio clip of the audiobook at the very end of this podcast just for you. Um, so, Ashley, in addition to being an award-winning author, you also spend your days teaching in Nashville, Tennessee. So I know we talked a little bit about this earlier, but can you let us know um, what grade do you teach, what subject? for how long have you been teaching? I think you have such a unique perspective to share as a teacher, a parent, and a writer. Uh, So I'm just wondering, who do you keep in mind when you're writing? Uh, Who is Ivy for? Who is Sunny for? And where do your ideas for each of these characters come from? Yeah. Um, Well, I teach, uh, right now I teach first grade, but I I teach elementary, um, any grade. I've taught fourth before, I've taught fifth, um, I taught six actually, and um, and I taught a little bit of second as well. So, um, and I've been teaching. I've only been teaching full time for a few years, really. But before that, I did a lot of like long term jobs, like where teachers went out on maternity leave, things like that. Because um, I was my kids were small, so I was staying home with them, and I was also trying to to write a lot and get that off the ground. Um, so I've only been like in the full time teaching mode for about three years now. So, you know, my students right now, and, I've been, and this is my second year teaching first, so I don't think about them personally a lot right. when I'm thinking about my yeah. middle grade books, but I do think about the people that'll become um, and the kids they'll become. Um, and I, I have a nine-year-old son right now, so I think about him a lot, too, 
when I'm thinking about middle grade books and what kind of book he might need someday and, um, you know, the conversations he might need to have. And really what affects me more is I actually look at books like Ivy and Sunny, <laughs> and I'm like, um, parents, uh, Ivy's parents, Sunny's guardian, y'all have needed to have done a better job before talking to them about <laughs> um, sexuality and how, hey, whoever you are is okay. Um, and so I actually really do think about that a lot in terms of parenting, you know, and my kids, mm-hmm. you know, I've already talked to them several times about, you know, sexuality and love is love and sometimes men love men and women love women and sometimes they love both and all and sometimes people don't feel like the, you know, the biological sex they're born with mm-hmm. and gender is about an identity and, you know, all those kind of things. So, you know, so they already know that um, and because I wanted to get that early and because, you know, then they go on a school bus and they go on a school and they hear, mm-hmm. you know, things that I don't agree with, you know, and that I have to then counteract at home. Um, and so, you know, I think about that. I do think about that a lot when I'm writing these books, too. It's like, okay, well, what are these parents? What, what do these kids need to need to hear? What, what does I need to hear? What would I have told her if I was her parent? You know, what does Sonny need to hear? Um, and those kind of things. Um, you know, and as, as, in terms of, like, who these books are for, um, and honestly, I mean, and I hope this doesn't sound selfish, but honestly, first year for me. I mean, they have to be. <laughs> Um, That's not you know, I can't, I, I can't write these books if I don't love them and if mm-hmm. I'm not doing it for me. Um, the dedication and I even says this one is for me <laughs> because, and really I just, I, and it, and part of that is because it's the book I needed as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so I feel like in a lot of ways, I'm always, I'm constantly writing to my younger self and, you know, on some level, um, you know, I've heard it, I've heard it before that authors, no matter how many books you write, you're just constantly really trying to answer one or two questions. And it's the same question over and over again, and it just takes different forms and different plots and different characters. Um, and I think that's really, I think that's really true. And so I think one question I'm constantly trying to answer is, am I, am I worth it? You know, am I worthy of love? Am I worthy of attention? Am I worthy of time? Um, and so I think you see that a lot in my books with these girls who are really seeking to answer that question. Um, am I worthy for you to take time out of your day to talk to me about this? Am I worthy of you not leaving me? <laughs> you know, am I worthy of you? Um, you know, I mean, whatever it might be. And so I think that, you know, for first and foremost, I have to write this question for myself, um, and try to answer it for myself. And then, and then, and then secondly, I'm writing, you know, to, to people, anybody who needs these, these questions answered themselves, um, who are asking these to themselves as well. Like we just said, it's not just kids who read this and, um, and can find themselves in the book. Like I've had so many grownups text me, not text me, but email me or tweet me or something about how they wish they had this book when they were a kid. And then so much, and you know, so, and then I've had kids say the same thing. So I think it's really for anyone who finds themselves in it, and I hope they do. That's awesome, Ashley. And I just want to go back. I think that most people, sadly, can relate to that question of, am I worthy? Um, But I just want to say that, yes, you are worthy, Ashley. (laughs) Worthy. (laughs) Well, yeah. You know, I mean, I think that we all ask ourselves those questions Mm -hmm. when we've been hurt or experienced loss or, you know, um, and I think that it's hard being a girl in the world, you know, and so really I, I, I write these books really to kind of, you know, I, I don't know, like hopefully kind of act as a little flashlight of like, here's, look, there are friends who love me and there are people who love me. And, and no matter how great your family is, like Ivy had a great family, you know, mm-hmm. and Sunny had several people who loved her. Um, the world still gets in and tells us lies about what it is to be a girl or mm-hmm. a girl who likes girls or, you know, whatever you're, it might be, you know, a fat girl or a girl with mental illness or anything like that. And so, you know, no matter how confident you are in certain, certain areas of your life, there's always going to be one thing or two things or something that the world tries to get in and dig at you about. 
Um, so that these books are really, really speak to that for me, I think. You know, it's so true what you said about the world getting in the way sometimes. And with both Sunny and Ivy, they are both put into life-changing situations where they end up realizing what's truly important in their lives. So Sunny is in need of heart surgery, like you said, and Ivy survives a natural disaster. Why was it important for you to give these characters such dramatic life events? And can you talk about what you were hoping to accomplish with that choice? And have you yourself experienced something similar in your life? Right. Well, I think first of all, like, I started out as a tornado book because I'm really terrified of tornadoes, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't because, like, I never have never been in one, but I lived in Georgia. (laughs) And so I had, you know, there were several warnings all the time, and I was like, you know, we had to go in the basement, and, you know, I was terrified of thunderstorms because I thought it always been a tornado would happen, and I'd, like, Mm -hmm. sleep on a sleeping bag next to my mom's side of the bed, like, whenever there was a thunderstorm in the middle of the night. Um, And I think I was just interested. Like, I just wanted to, you know, it was interesting to me um, what happens when you're a natural disaster occurs and you lose everything like what what's the family dynamics what is what happens to your possessions what happens to your friendships um what happens to what you're dealing with when that happens you know like how do you continue to deal with those things um like you know I have these new baby brothers and her you know inner thoughts about what she's saying about her identity so and then and then with like again with a heart transplant I told you I don't even know where that came from but I think I just found it interesting, and I wanted to see, and it, and it became something really amazing, though, because, it, it, you know, the whole idea of removing the heart you were born with and replacing it with someone who had to die for you to have it. Um, and Sunny thinks about that a lot, and she thinks about, you know, what is what is a heart in a body? Um, is it is it who she is, or is who she is something else? And then, you know, just thinking about the, an actual broken heart. You know, she had an actual, like, literal broken heart, and it had to be fixed. Um, and, you know, and then thinking about the things that have broken her emotional heart. And so there's all that kind of stuff to play with. And it ended up being really fun and really interesting and um, really compelling, in my opinion. Um, but I, I mean, I had fun writing it, you know, and um, it was really emotional for me to write it because I just had to, I had to force myself to put, you know, myself to be in her position mm-hmm. um, and think about how I would be feeling and what I would be thinking and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and I think in both cases for Ivy and Sunny, I mean, like I said, I think it started off as something that it would be an interesting situation to put a character in, what happens now. But I think for both of them, they're both trying to figure out who they are. Um, and I think what's interesting, and I think this is especially in Sunny, it happens especially in Sunny, that, you know, she gets this heart transplant and then she tries, she's like, oh, well, I'm going to change my wardrobe then. I'm going to dye my hair. I'm going to do all these different things because I'm this brand new Sunny, right? I have to be different because I have this new heart. So if I can't be the old Sunny because the old Sunny's dead. Um, so because I died on that, she's, you know, she makes a big deal in the first half. They're like, I'm going to mm-hmm. die today, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Um, but really what she ends up coming right back around to is full circle and that she is who she's always been. And um, just with a few adjustments and changes and new people in her life and um, and realizing that who she was even before her heart failed her was enough, was a, was a, was a great girl, a great person. And I think Ivy kind of went through something similar. It's like, well, I have all you know, these thoughts and feelings. Are they okay? And then her world, obviously the tornado is kind of a symbol for her mm-hmm. emotional turmoil as well. Um, and then the conclusion she reaches is that, you know, who she started out with when, even when all these thoughts were secret is a great person, you know, and a person worthy of love and attention and, um, and acceptance. Um, so I think, you know, and, and also with Sunny, like, I don't, I don't want to shy away in middle grade from the hard stuff. You know, I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of times we, and, and, I, and I was a bookseller for a while, so I actually saw this in action, um, that we as adults and grownups who are getting books for kids, because in middle grade, it's still very much parents and librarians and teachers getting these books in the kids' hands, mm-hmm. or at least paying for them. You know, if you, if you take the kid to the, the student or the child to a bookstore with you, um, you know, they're still paying for them, they're still kind of approving of them, um. 
And so, you know, I think that, I think a lot of times as, as the gatekeepers sort of for kids who are reading and what they're reading, um, we want to protect them from certain things and certain exposure to the, the hard stuff in the world. You know, like I used to work at Parnassus Books in Nashville, mm-hmm. which was like my favorite job ever in the whole entire world. And it's also my favorite place in the world. So if you're ever in Nashville, go to Parnassus <laughs> Books. But I was, a, and I worked in the kids department mainly because I just, that's just what I mostly read. So I was just kind of one of the go-to people for the kids book department, the YA and middle grade and picture books and everything. And there were so many, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I had a parent come in, um, either for YA or middle grade, um, asking for recommendations and, you know, then I'd ask some questions, well, what are they like, what are they into? And, and so many times parents would be like, well, I don't want any, I don't want any books with kissing in it. But, you know, he read Hunger Games and he loved that. And I'm like, really? <laughs> so, you know, it's like, so children killing children is okay, but right. <laughs> kissing isn't. Um, and I have a theory about why that is. I think, I think it's because, like, things like that, like Hunger Games, is so far-fetched. You know, we don't expect that to actually be something that could really happen. At least we didn't right. before 2016. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, we just never expect that to be something that could actually happen. But kissing, oh, well, my child is probably going to kiss someday. So that's freaky. That's freaking freak parents out, you know. Um, but, you know, along those same lines, I just don't, I don't want to hide alcoholism from middle grade kids who are, when there's probably a lot of middle grade kids out there who are dealing with that with mm-hmm. their parents. I don't want to hide verbal abuse. And I don't want to hide um, identity issues. You know, I don't want to hide um, mental illness issues. I don't want to, you know, I just, I think that kids know what they can handle. Mm-hmm. Um, and they know what they're ready for. And, like, I have a, a friend of mine whose daughter, she's right in the sweet spot of Ivy Aberdeen, like, to read Ivy. And she's just, she's not there with crushes. She doesn't care, you know, about crushes yet. And that's mm-hmm. fine. You know, she knows what she's ready for and what she's not interested in. I write about these hard things because I want kids to know that, that they're not alone in them and that we as parents and the gatekeeper should really trust kids when it comes to what they know that they're ready to read about and what they need to read about. Wow. I've learned so much speaking with you today. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're about to wrap things up, but I can't can't let you off the hook yet um, because I'm very curious. Do you have a favorite character, Sunny or Ivy? Oh, yeah, I do. I, I know I'm <laughs> You don't have too, to answer. You don't but, have to answer. But Okay, so you do, but I, you don't have to tell us if you don't I want to. Answer. I okay, can't answer. Okay, okay. I mean, I love them both. You know, like, and, like, I've written three YA books as well, mm-hmm. and I love every character I've ever written. Um, some are more me than others. All of them are a little bit of me. They have to be. You know, I made them. <laughs> you know, so, um, but... There is just something about Sunny St. James that just wrapped around my heart and wouldn't let go and still and she still has it. You know, I don't know what it is about her and but I just love her so much and she's definitely probably my favorite. It's probably my favorite book I've ever written and she's probably my favorite character I've ever written so far. I have to say, just the way you talk about Sunny just makes me want to go and read it all over again. And I hope that listeners will stay tuned for the audiobook clip that we're sharing at the end of this podcast. But before we let you off the hook, um, we've officially made it now to our fire round where I will ask you five questions and you only get 10 seconds to answer them. All right. So question one, what are you reading right now? Uh, Easy one. I am reading uh, Daisy Jones and the Six. Which is a an adult book by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Okay, so what is the last thing that you binge watched? Oh my gosh, like I have a few answers to this one. Um, so the most recent one, I don't know if it's completely appropriate for a school podcast. But <laughs> it's okay, <laughs> Clarita Diet season two. Um, it's just so funny. It has Drew Barrymore mm-hmm. and Timothy Oliphant, and it's about like undead and zombies, and it's so it's just so funny. It's a little gruesome. It doesn't have the best language, so you know. <laughs> but it is so funny. I just laugh. I, and I do not laugh out loud easily. I'm really hard to make laugh out loud. And I just 
like cackle the entire time I'm watching this show. Okay, so give a shout out to a fellow author who is doing something great but isn't necessarily on people's radar at the moment. Yeah, good question. Um, well, I don't know if she's not on people's radar because I'm hearing a lot of bugs about her book that's coming out um, later this year. But um, one that I'm thinking of right now is Jasmine Orga, who is her she, her first middle grade. She's written two YAs, um, My Heart, Another Black Holes, and um, I'm blanking on the other one, but it was good. I forgot what it's called. But her uh, first middle grade is called Other Words for Home, and it's coming out um, in coming out May, May 28th. Can you say the name again, the title again? Yeah, it's called Other Words for Home. And do you have a favorite writing habit or writing location or routine? Um, I really don't. Um, I teach full-time. I have two kids. Um, I really have to kind of write when I can. <laughs> you know, I have to squeeze in when I can. Ideally, I would love to be able to pop out of bed at 5 15 on weekday mornings <laughs> and, um, you know, get out, get pound out my 1,000 words, um, but it doesn't always happen. So, you know, sometimes I'm doing it extremely tired in the afternoon or in the evening, um, and um, I don't really, I don't have something that I have to, like, listen to or read or eat or, you know, drink, and, you know, I just kind of go with it. You know, I do have, um, if I do listen to music, it has to not have lyrics, so I listen to, like, mm-hmm. instrumental stuff, um, or, like, I use this app called Noisly, which is just, like, white noise or, like, you know, sounds of breezy leaves and campfires crackling and things like that. Um, Interesting. But I really like the Crown soundtrack. I like to do that. Mm-hmm. And I have this, like, playlist called Gloomy Piano. It really puts me in the introspective mood. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really all that's, like, kind of, you know, constant. Other than that, I just I kind of snatch writing time when I can. Okay, and our last question, if you could tell yourself – your younger self, one thing, what would you say? Oh, man. So many things. <laughs> Let's see. Um, hold on. A flat iron will be invented in a few years. How about that? Um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, my hair was, like, so untamable when I was a kid, and the flat iron did not exist yet. Only the crimping iron. And um, <laughs> it was, yeah, so it was a struggle sometimes. Um, no, but seriously, I think, um, I don't know. I think, like, it will get better. Maybe that one. I know that's one a lot of people think about and say when they're thinking about teenagers and middle schoolers, like, it'll get better. Um, But, you know, I think that's really true. I think it's true. I mean, you have to hope, you know, without the Mm -hmm. hope, there's, I mean, hope is a tricky thing, you know, Mm -hmm. it can lead to heartbreak, but without it, all we have is despair and that's no way to live. I completely agree. And I hope that people will go and read Ivy Aberdeen's Letter to the World and read The Mighty Heart of Sunny St. James or stay tuned for that audiobook clip at the very end. Well, thanks, Ashley, for your time today. Thanks for yeah, joining us. Thanks for um, I really appreciate your time. I know you're busy. You're a teacher. You have two kids. You have a lot going on. So thanks for <laughs> chatting with us today. Yeah, um, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm going to die today. Definitely for a few minutes, and maybe forever. Kate keeps telling me, no way, no how is it going to be forever. But she isn't the one who's about to have her most important internal organs switched out like a new swimsuit at the start of the summer. I've imagined this moment a lot. I mean, a lot. Day in and day out, while Kate biked back and forth from our house to the bookstore she owns downtown about a million times a day to check on me, I would weave together this very moment in full color. And my imagination is fierce. One of the best on Juniper Island, if I had to guess. When you've spent most of the past two years on your couch watching the sun tick across the sky like I have, 
you've got a bunch of time to work on your thoughts. There's usually a lot of blood involved. Of course there is. It's my heart after all, puny as it may be, a lousy blood bringer to all my other top-notch organs. The color is pretty, bright red against my pale skin and the white and steel operating room. Then there are the noises and smells. A lot of people leave out noises and smells when they let their imaginations ramble, but not me. The scalpel zips down my sternum, and my body squelches and squishes as gloved hands dip into my open chest. I know, I know. I've made my own stomach twist more than once. But this kind of stuff is not for the faint of heart. Or, actually, I guess it is. You're doing it again, Kate says. She sits on the edge of the pea-green pleather chair that doubles as a bed in my hospital room. There's a book open on her lap, but I know she's not reading it. She's too busy watching me, watching the tubes hooked into my arms and nose, watching that machine beep, 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 proving I'm still alive. Which I am, for now. My eyelids close heavily. They've been doing that a lot lately, dropping like an iron door every time I blink. I pry them open again. Doing what? Picturing things, she says. We could play frisbee instead. Did you bring a frisbee? She smiles and shakes her head at me. Just picture good things, okay? Like running and going to the beach with... I cut myself off. But we both know who I was about to say. My official FBF, a.k.a. former best friend. Even after four months of not having her in my life, she's still a habit. A bad one. Like running and going to the beach this summer, Kate finishes for me, conveniently leaving Margot Banks out of it. I called Suzette just so you know. Kate says. What? Why? Suzette is Margot's mom, who I've known since I was four when Kate brought me from Nashville to Juniper Island, just off the coast of South Carolina. Because she loves you, Kate says. I roll my eyes even though I know it's true. But Suzette was never the problem. I told her we got the call and the surgery was today, Kate goes on. She said she was sending you all her good thoughts, and she'd let Margot know what was going on. I wait for Kate to tell me more, that Margot had a message for me, even if it's just a simple hello and, you know, good luck with that whole new heart thing, and while I'm at it, I confess I'm pretty much the worst friend ever. But Kate just sits there, her eyes going all misty on me again. Kate? What? You're crying. Well, yeah, I'm allowed to cry. She stands up, her book sliding to the floor, but she doesn't bend to pick it up. Usually Kate's a neat freak. Everything in our house and the bookstore is just so. Before Margot's debacle of a birthday party back in January, she and I used to play this game where we'd move something small, like a candle from the living room to the kitchen, or a picture frame from one side of a shelf to the other and see how long it took Kate to notice. The longest she ever went was 47 minutes, and for 21 of those minutes, she'd been at the bookstore. 
Now her book is face down on the germ-filled floor, the pages all crinkled up, and she doesn't even care. It's a hardcover, too. It's because of me. I sucked the care right out of her. I'm ready to stop doing that. She lies down next to me and tucks my hair behind my ear, then rubs circles into my temple over and over again the way she does when I can't sleep. I look at the machine next to my bed, my heart rate pulsing. 62, 63, 64, 62. Are you scared? Kate asks. What, about dying? Meh. Sonny St. James. What? You're not going to die, she says. But I am. For a few minutes after they snip the bad heart out, hey, I love that heart. It's still bad, right? She doesn't say anything to that. Two years ago, when I was ten, I fainted during recess at school, just totally face-planted in the rubber mulch. A day later, I was diagnosed with cardiomyopathy, which pretty much means my heart is bad. A total failure. 